Returning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 11 to 27, and then I'm going to read verses 41 to 44. Now, we've already read the intervening passage of the triumphal entry, so what I'm going to begin with is what Jesus says just before the triumphal entry. Now, as they heard of these things, which is the episode with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and Jesus has said, salvation has come to this house. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom to return and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivering to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your manah has earned ten minas. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your manah has earned five manas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then, he, then came another, saying, Master, here is your manah, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you. Because you are an austere man, you collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the manah from him and give it to him who has ten manas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten manas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Then we have what we've already read, the triumphal entry narrative. And then verses 41 to 44. Now as he, Jesus, drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things which make for your 
peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Do you want me to tell you the truth? Or do you want me to lie to you? If you had a disease and you were in the hospital because of the symptoms of that disease and the physician who examined you had a true, correct diagnosis, but it wasn't a good one, would you want that doctor to come in to you and lie to you? Oh, well, you're perfectly okay. You'll be just fine. See ya. I think we would all, based on the level of our sanity, <laughs> prefer the truth. The truth is, folks, the God who discloses himself to us in the words of this book, the God who discloses himself to us as we go out and look at the trees and we examine the leaves and we examine the blades of grass and as we examine animals and we, as we get with our microscopes and get down into the DNA and see that every strand of DNA that is in each one of the cells, the millions and millions, hundreds of millions of cells in your body can contain more information than we can put on the most advanced computer the God who is so detailed, so powerful in the design of all that he has done, the reality is that that God is your creator, my creator, the creator of all things, and all things belong to him by virtue of the fact that he is their creator. Amen. He is our creator. We owe him. What he, our creator, demands of us, authentic worship, trust, praise. And anybody who tells you they don't believe there is a God is a bald-faced liar. I'm telling you that based on the scripture. Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says that the human race, because of its sinfulness, turns its back on him and suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness because they do not want to stand before the true and holy God. Well, the fact is, folks, you're gonna, you are standing before the holy God. That's the reality of your environment. He is a God of truth. Thank you, God, his favorite word. He tells us this in the scripture. He loves mercy, grace, kindness, provision. He is so good, holy, wise, defending the defenseless, 
but he does but he also judges the guilty the only way we can escape the judgment for our guilt as we've already mentioned is the fact that he sent his son in his mercy to be nailed to that cross the passage that we read earlier from the psalm he will bind the sacrifice with cords to the altar he bound his son with nails to the altar that cross was a wooden altar to whom the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world as john the baptist called him was nailed so that he could be punished for our sin so that his holy father would be perfectly free to forgive us let me tell you something folks you turn your back on that mercy to understate it drastically you have made a serious 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 awful maniacal mistake and that's an understatement because what awaits us if we reject what Jesus did in our place on the cross is the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever and ever where the worm does not die always being eaten and never eaten up and the fire is not quenched always burning but never burning up that's what Jesus has delivered us from but if you turn your back if you disdain what Jesus did on your behalf you are demanding justice and you don't want that I don't want that this parable of the manaz is called in Luke chapter 19 verses 11 to 27 actually has an historical basis when Herod the Great the man who had the children the two-year-old and below children young boys in the in the region of Bethlehem slaughtered because the Magi did not come back to him and tell him where is the house that has the Messiah living in it so he just killed all the boys that fit that description and of course Joseph and Mary and the young child had already fled to Egypt at the at the command of the angel when Herod the Great died he had an insane son, maniacal, by the name of Archelaus, who was supposed to receive his father's kingdom. But the Jewish people, no, Archelaus is insane. They don't want him to be ruler. He's worse than his father. He's about the, I think he's the only surviving son of his father because his father had the other sons killed. Yes. And so Archelaus made a trip to Rome to officially receive from the Roman authorities his father's kingdom. The Jews sent a delegation after Archelaus saying, please don't do this to us. This man is a maniac. And the Romans said, is that a problem? And they gave to Archelaus the right to rule in the area where his father, Herod the Great, had ruled part of it. Herod Antipas got the northern part, Galilee. Archelaus got 
the region of Judea. That's why when Joseph and Mary came back from Egypt, they came to Judea. And what? Archelaus is a ruler here? I think we better live somewhere else. And the angel directed them to Nazareth in Galilee. But what did Archelaus do when he came back? He had all the Jews who were in that delegation and who had sent the delegation, he had them all executed. So as Jesus is giving this account, all of the listeners are going, this sounds familiar, this sounds familiar, this sounds familiar. What will, what is God's son about to do? God's son is about to go to his heavenly father to receive a kingdom. And who is behind him? The Jewish leadership crying out to the one who they think has the authority, Pilate, we do not want this man. Pilate had asked him, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? It is as you say, said Jesus. Yes. The high priest had asked him, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God? It is as you say. Yes. And then they took him to Pilate and they engineered his crucifixion because they did not want him to rule over them. It wasn't that they didn't know who he was. It wasn't that they thought he was a maniac who was mistaken. They knew who he was. They knew who he was and they knew that if he takes the throne, if he takes David's place, we're out. So they engineered his crucifixion. And what do you suppose he will do when he comes back having received the kingdom? We already know part of it. What happened to that very generation? Jesus tells us in verses 41 to 44. Let's read these words. Because these words were fulfilled in 70 AD, 37 years later, now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, who? You Jewish nation. In this your day. Well, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry the children in the crowd, but especially the children, have been crying out, Hosanna, blessed is the king, the son of David, Messiah. Those are all synonyms. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. And glory in the highest. They are welcoming him, and is the passage that they're quoting part of, but it's from Psalm 118. We are speaking to you from the temple, from your own house, Lord. If you had known, even you especially in this, your day, how is this the day of Israel? Because if they welcome him as their king, they're receiving the kingdom. They're receiving all of the blessings promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of the nation. They're stepping into kingdom glory. But most of them don't 
get that. Even though they are crying out these words, those words mean much more than they are even have they are even understanding. If you had known even you, Jewish people, especially in this your day, the day when all of those promises would be fulfilled to you, the things that make for your shalom, for your peace, for your blessing, for the abundance and the fulfillment of every promise, But now they are hidden from your eyes. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Later on, as Jesus is on the cross, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, are standing at the foot of his cross, mocking him. He saved others. Oh, yeah, we know he's raised the dead more than once. Yes, we know that he's cleansed lepers, a divine act. Yes, we know that he has healed the sick. Yes, we know he's cast out demons by the tens of thousands. We know all that. What did you just admit to? We're not lacking evidence. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Not true. What had he said to Peter? I can call 12 legions of angels. Folks, that's minimum of 72,000 angels. He really only needs one. He can get 72,000. Himself he cannot save. And what does Jesus reply? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know what makes for their peace. You know, Annas and Caiaphas, the very men who engineered his crucifixion, they're forgivable. But they are casting away their own forgiveness. And it's not that they didn't understand the facts of who Jesus was, but they are walking in the delusion that they can somehow get away with it. There is no getting away with it. The judgment for our sins either falls upon us or on Jesus on the cross. They are insisting that the judgment due to them fall upon them, and they will get their wish. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. 70 A.D., the Romans came and did this very thing. Surround you and close you in on every side and level you. What will Jesus say in Matthew 24? When the disciples are all excited, they're in the temple. Oh, Lord Jesus, look at this. This is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Look at this. This and this beautiful. Well, don't get excited, too excited, boys, because it's all going to be knocked down. What? It will level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. God himself came to you and you turned your back. You plugged your ears. You covered your eyes. You refused to see what was right in front 
of you. He saved others. That's not important. That's not something I will take into my thinking. And what did Archelaus do when he came back? And Jesus says, so will I. I will measure out rewards to my servants. Those to whom I gave the capabilities and they use those capabilities to, gra- to bring themselves greater reward in the kingdom. You know what? In the kingdom of God, there's the basic plan. Everybody gets the basic plan. There's a single person that's going to be the eternal reign, of, eternal reign of Jesus Christ that isn't going to be absolutely delighted that they're there. But you can actually enhance your eternal kingdom experience based on what you do now with the provisions, with the gifts that he has given to you. If you make use of those gifts and invest those gifts in service to the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes back, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. But there will be those, and the Apostle Paul especially is adamant about this as he talks about the judgment seat of Christ, which is the judgment for reward to believers. There will be there those who will be saved but have nothing to enhance that kingdom experience. They'll be glad they're there. Be wonderful. Be great. They won't be in the lake of fire. They will be in the presence of God. But they won't have the enhancement to that experience that they might otherwise have had. And what will be the experience of those who rejected the king? Matthew chapter 25 the judgment of the nations. He consigns them to the lake of fire, created not for the human race, but created for the devil and his angels, it says in Matthew 25. The lake of fire wasn't created for the human race. It was created for the devil and his angels. If a human being finds himself there, it is by default. It is because he rejected the mercy he could have had that was available to him through Christ, but he turned his back on it. Ladies and gentlemen, Christianity isn't a preference. It isn't one item on the menu of religions that we can select this one or that one or that one and it makes really ultimately no difference. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No Man, no human being comes to the Father except by me. And that offer of mercy and grace is to every single descendant of Adam, everyone worldwide. In our narrow American vision, we see, we see Christianity here. We see its influence. You know what the largest Christian nation in the world is today? The nation with more Christians than any other is China, not the United States. More Christians by far in China than any other nation. 
and they are the underground church, but it's about one-third of the population. One-third. Because Jesus' mercy, grace, reaches that far. Should we... Can we embrace the idea right now that we need to be telling other people of the necessity that they face, whether they're aware of it or not, the necessity of entrusting themselves to what Jesus did for them on the cross, that they may be delivered from the lake of fire when the king comes back and says, bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is the God of mercy, grace, and love is also the fierce God. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we hold you in our hands. What you do for us is like that gift to us that is so bountiful, so beautiful, so wonderful, and yet put to improper use can destroy us. Your kingdom is to those who entrust themselves to you a kingdom of mercy, grace, blessing. But to those who disdain the gift, only comes judgment. Lord, I'm asking for each one of us that this week you would open opportunities for us to entrust, open, open opportunities for us to speak to those who do not yet know you of the necessity they have to entrust themselves to your mercy worked out for them by you in your son's cross. And we pray again for those whom we mentioned earlier by name who have yet to know you. And Lord, there were so many that are in our minds right now that we did not ask prayer for. Brothers and sisters, parents, children, cousins, friends that don't know you. Lord, we are asking that you would do a work of resurrection in their lives, of giving them understanding and the heart to believe and cry out to you. We ask this of you, King Jesus, and may we be useful to you in this.